It's good to see you. You're very, very welcome. I know that it's a bank holiday weekend. I know there's exams. I know there's various other things on. Um, and I do appreciate you being here this evening. Let's just pray together as we look together at God's Word. <coughs> Father, I just pray you bless us and be with us, Lord, and help us as we just look at this, um, these verses in Romans 12. Um, Lord, we just pray that you'd speak into each of our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the folk who are here. We pray for the folk who are not here this evening, the folk maybe are studying or maybe just relaxing or whatever they're up to. We pray your blessing upon them. But Father, I pray that you'd help me to speak clearly and uh, your word to each one who's here this evening. So, Father, I just pray that in the silence of this moment, we'll just say, Lord, please speak to me tonight. May your word really come into my mind, heart, my heart, and help me to be transformed to become more like Jesus Christ, your son. Or maybe for the first time, I would accept Jesus as my savior because I realize tonight that I need a savior. And if I don't have a savior, I'm on my own. So, Father, just be with each one of us and bless us tonight as we meet around your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, I bought a CD uh, of Prom Praise. And any of you who know me uh, sort of half well, you know that I'm very fond of going to London. And I go to a big church in London called All Souls. And it's a place where um, they have a big orchestra. And occasionally, they have a big concert in the Albert Hall and a thing called Prom Praise. And I bought the CD of that. And I was driving up to Port Stewart the other day, and there's one piece on it which I played over and over and over again. Uh, I think cars did wonder what was happening because I was getting really quite caught up in the wonderful words, the uplifting music, really loud and triumphant. And the question that I asked myself at one stage, can you get three points on your license for singing so loudly or worshiping so vigorously? Because that's what basically was happening. But the question is as well, is singing the beginning and end of worship. Worship which gives God the rightful place in our lives. And in Romans 12, verse 1, it says this, as we can see on the screen. Therefore, I urge, urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is true worship when we offer ourselves to God. But what does this look like in our lives? And from this chapter, we see that true worship impacts us in various ways. True worship impacts, impacts ourselves. It impacts on our Christian friends. And it impacts on everyone else. So firstly, how does true worship impact you and me in our lives? Look at verse 3. We do not think of yourselves, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. And then in verse 6, it says, we have all different gifts. Paul is saying that we should get the balance right. Some people think they're wonderful, always able, and capable of doing everything and anything. And others, however, feel very worthless, with nothing to offer. But Paul tells us, as Christian people, we all have gifts. There are two dangerous positions we can be in. The position where we think we have everything under control or the position where we think we have nothing. And we need to get the balance right. Not being fully self, full of self-pride and self-importance, but also not um, to be self-loathing and ending up immobile and doing nothing because we feel unworthy. 
and can offer nothing to God and his kingdom. We're all equal at the cross of Jesus Christ. Example of this that I've used before here in C, and I hope you'll excuse me for using it because it's quite personal. My dad was a GP in Portadown, and one of his best friends was Mr. Cardwell. Mr. Cardwell was our bread man. My dad was an educated man, was well known in Portadown as a GP, was well loved by many people in the town. He did some speaking, so he was up front quite a bit of the time. My dad played rugby for Ulster on one occasion. He also played a lot of cricket. He was a very good sportsman. He was a man who had a high profile, not because he sought it, but he was in danger of verse 3 that he could have think more highly of himself than he ought to have. Mr. Cardwell was a man who probably left school when he was 14. He was our bread man, a wonderful man, taught me in Sunday school. These two men were great friends. They loved each other. They came together as good friends in Jesus Christ. Mr. Cardwell could well have fallen into the, the, the verse 6 category where he thought he had nothing to offer. And yet these two men got the balance together. True worship has an impact on us. We take a proper look at who we are before God, that we're sinners saved by grace. And we get a proper understanding of how God is transforming us and making us different people and gifting us with gifts that we can serve into other people's lives. But secondly, true worship moves for, out from ourselves and has an impact on, other, on our Christian, other Christian friends. And what does that look like? True worship is seen firstly by us belonging together, as we see in verses four and five. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. True worship takes place not in isolation, but when we belong to each other. True worship takes place not when we are independent, but when we are interdependent. Secondly, true worship together with other Christians helps to build us up. Verse 68, we have different gifts according to his, the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's in serving, let him serve. If it's in teaching, let him teach. If it's in encouraging, let him encourage. If it's in contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's in leadership, let him lead diligently. If it is in showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. We are to use our gifts to help each other and to build each other up. Now this list is not exhaustive and scripture adds to this list in other places, but these gifts are wide and varied. Some are more upfront like teaching and others are in the background. If you teach, whether upfront or in a Bible study group or even with a friend to explain some scripture to them, scripture to them you are exercising a spiritual gift. If you encourage one, someone, you're exercising a spiritual gift. If you help or serve into someone's life, you're exercising a spiritual gift. If you've given, ever given financially to someone or to a cause, you're exercising spiritual gift. <coughs> True worship is when we use our spiritual gifts 
to build each other up. But thirdly, true worship that impacts other, impacts other Christians is seen as we behave together. If you look at verses 9 to 13, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Let's look at some of the ways in which we behave in true worship. Verses 9 and 10, we show love, brotherly or sisterly love, not just feelings, but actions. Verse 11, it talks about zeal, about spiritual fervor, being passionate, not lukewarm, not half-hearted. Verse 12, it says, it talks about endurance, keep going on, not giving up, not giving up on someone or something, even when it seems so hard. True worship says to be joyful in hope, to be patient in affliction in the hard days, and to be faithful in prayer. And verse 13 says, we are called as true worshipers to show generosity to those in need. And it says to show or practice hospitality. When you get older and have a home, maybe have a family, don't make it your castle to keep others out, but make it a warm-hearted, open home where folks, both friend and stranger, feel welcomed and loved. The benefit of this to your family life is immense. And as I was thinking of this, the prime example that I can think of is John and Fee Finlay and the girls. They have a home that is an open home where people are made to feel welcome. That is true worship. So how does true worship affect our relationship with other Christians? It makes us belong together. It makes us build together. And it makes us behave together. So the question which we must ask here, does this describe true worship with us? It may mean chatting to the person beside you later on. It may mean spending time with them and with others. It may mean looking out for each other and showing hospitality by welcoming the outsider into your group. It may mean that you won't hide away, but you'll be open-hearted. You'll notice people, you'll not ignore people. True worship may mean meeting with your friends to pray together and to pray for each other. True worship may mean texting someone who needs a kind word or a scripture verse to encourage them. Do not, but do not underestimate the importance of this true worship. True worship impacts our relationship with other Christians. And thirdly, true worship impacts our relationship with all people, with everyone else. True worship should spill out of this place and our churches into our communities, our schools, and our workplaces. I want you to think of that person in your life who you would find most difficult. Sadly for me, it comes to mind very readily. The person in life that makes life difficult for you. 
Now, with that in mind, let's look at this last section of our study together. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 17, do not repay any evil for evil. Verse 19, do not take revenge. Rather, in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul is saying in slightly different ways, say no to retaliation and yes to loving service. Guys, this is the heart of the gospel. No to retaliation and yes to loving service. This is true worship. Now think of your friend, think of your person. This is not easy. And we'll hear very shortly how hard this can truly be. It means deliberately praying for that person. It means being polite and kind to them. It means as far as you can do it, keeping the peace with them. It may not be on their agenda, however. It means asking God to change our hearts and our minds with regard to them. It means no retaliation and yes to loving service. Now as we finish, there are three reasons why we see this in this passage, why this true worship is God's way. It is the heart of the gospel. The first reason is the justice of God. Do not take revenge, my friends. I will repay, says the Lord. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. We certainly know many in this country who have received, who have not received justice. If you've been watching the news recently, you've seen the thing about King's Mill murder or massacre where I think it was 10 guys or maybe more who were taken out of a van and mowed down. One guy was shot through his face. There has been no justice. Those are maybe major things where there's been no justice, but they're small or seemingly insignificant to the rest of society, things that were justice has not been exercised. But to you and to me, they're significant things. But no justice has ever been exercised. But the day will come, evil will be judged. God will not be mocked. But it's not our role as individuals to inflict judgment. In fact, in the next chapter 13, Paul tells us that this is the role of government to bring people to justice. But we know that may not always happen. But God will not be mocked. He will not ignore evil and wrongdoing. And this is why we need a saviour. And in true worship, he calls us as, as it might be, as hard as it might be, to say no to retaliation and yes to loving service because of God's justice. The second reason is the mission of God. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, in doing this, you will reap, heap burning coals on his head. 
God's mission and our mission is to seek and to save those who are lost. And as verse 20 says, to bring burning coals on his head. Now that sounds awfully like vengeance. It doesn't sound like what we should be doing. But what in fact it means is that by our Christ-like behavior, they will burn with shame because of the true worship that we have shown, that we've said no to retaliation and yes to loving service. And they may in fact turn and seek forgiveness. They will have a crisis of conscience. This will certainly not happen if we say yes to retaliation, but may happen if we truly worship and say no to retaliation and yes to loving service. The third reason and final reason to say no to retaliation and yes to loving service is because of the mercy of God. We who are Christians are recipients of mercy. At the cross, Jesus said no to retaliation and yes to loving service. Jesus had every right to retaliate and yet he lovingly served us by going to the cross. We are truly blessed people who've been shown mercy. So then why do we say no to retaliation and yes to loving service and to be worshippers, true worshippers? Because of God's justice, he will sort it out someday. Because of God's mission to win some back and because of God's mercy as seen at the cross. Therefore, it says, as it says in verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is true worship. True worship has an impact upon ourselves. True worship has an impact on our Christian friends. And true worship impacts everyone else. I said that we would see here somebody speak with regard to this. It's a lady called Corrie ten Boom, who is a Dutch lady. I believe she passed away a few years ago. As a young girl about your age, 14 or 15, she was arrested by the Nazis in Holland. Her father had kept and was able to get about over a thousand Jews out of the country, but they were caught. Her father and her, two, her and her sister were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp, which is a very brutal camp. There her father and her sister Betsy died, but she survived that time. And she's talking about forgiveness and what it means to forgive somebody. Let's just listen and watch what she has to say.
of our strength is Jesus Christ himself. And his cross shows us that we can accept suffering as a part of God's plan for this world. When I was in a concentration camp, one of the most terrible things I had to go through was that they stripped us of all our clothing and we had to stand. The first time was the worst. I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. And suddenly it was as if I saw Jesus at the cross. And the Bible tells, they took his garments, he hanged there naked. And I knew he hanged there for me, for my sins. And by my suffering, I understood a fraction of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And it made me so thankful that I could bear my suffering. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Some people are afraid to look at the cross. Are you? Don't be afraid. The cross is terrible. It is terrible how Jesus suffered. Not to describe. But you must not be afraid to look at it. For if you had been the only person in the world, Jesus should have suffered for your sins. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my sins rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I have guidance every day. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin, and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel officers, guards, in the concentration, in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian, I have found the Lord Jesus, I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done, but then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom wants him here forgiven. Will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said that? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. And I, I knew, oh, 
I am not ready for Jesus coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. Father, we thank you that you call us to be your children. And you call us to worship you. And we thank you for that opportunity to worship you in song. But we're also conscious of the fact that we are worshiping you in our lives and what we do. And we thank you, Father, that true worship is we've given you the rightful place within our lives. And that affects us. It gives us a balance of how we think about ourselves, that we don't think too much of ourselves, but we also realize that we are children of the living God and we'd, we've been given something that's special. But Father, we thank you that uh, that true worship is something that spreads out to our other Christian friends and we belong to each other. We will build each other up and spend time with each other. But also we realize that true worship will spread out from wherever we're meeting into our community, into our schools, into our families, into wherever we work. We'll have an impact there for good. Lord, you know that tonight we've been thinking at the end about forgiveness, and we know that it's hard, and as we've listened to Corrie Timboom,
describing her awful situation. We realize we do have friends who have gone through very life-changing situations which people are asking them to forgive and it's not easy for them. Lord, I just pray you'd bless them. But as Carrie says, she can't do it and neither can we. But it's only through Jesus Christ that we can come to any point of forgiveness. So Lord, we just pray your blessing upon us that we would be people who do not show retaliation, but people who bring loving service to folk around us, even to those who despise us or hate us or oppose us. So Father, I just pray for each one of us that we would be this evening true worshippers, not only in song, but in our whole lives, what we do and what we say, how we react to other people, bringing you the glory in every situation. So Lord, I just pray for everyone who's here this evening, from the youngest to the oldest, that none of us will feel that this is either beyond us or too much for us. But this is the heart of the gospel, Lord. The heart of the gospel is no retaliation and yes to loving service because that's what took you to the cross or Jesus to the cross for us. We praise you for that, Lord. So Lord, we pray that you'd be with us and bless each one of us as we just close with our last item of praise. Ask us in Jesus' name. Amen.